Tua. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's preview time. We're taking a look at Sunday's matchup with the New York Giants, a chance to make it five straight victories for the second time in as many years. We'll break it down position by position, tell you how Miami can secure that fifth straight dub, give you the three keys of the game, and a whole lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Miami Dolphins. Oh yeah, it's preview day, and is it just me, or has this week been kind of a fun one? I've watched last week's game several times, but now I'm on to the Giants. We got another chance to make it a fun week with the Giants coming to town, and we'll have to wait to find out which quarterback's going to be under center for Big Blue as Joe Judds addressed the next strain suffered by Daniel Jones in the game Sunday, and he was limited in practice on Wednesday and will be all throughout the course of this week, but he would not rule Jones out as previous reports had said they were going to do. So we'll see who plays on Sunday. Their backup is Mike Glennon, and they just signed Jake Fromm from the Buffalo practice squad. So we should find out sometime this weekend, either the Friday practice report, maybe it's a game time decision. We shall see. But before we get into the quarterback versus the Miami safeties matchup, how did the Giants get to their current position? They brought Dave Gettleman in as GM in 2018 as they searched for a return to the winning ways of really the early aughts and before that with that ferocious defense the four-man pass rush they could provide Plexico Burris Eli Manning all those uh, star players they had back in those Super Bowl years they did make the postseason back in 2016 but then dropped to five wins in 2017 opting to bring Gettleman in from Carolina and that was also it, the end of the road, for Ben McAdoo, a two-year stint there with the Giants. And Gettleman was joined by Pat Shermer for a year, but he lasted just that one season before the Giants went after special teams coaching Wiz and something of a disciplinarian up there in New England in Joe Judge to fill that big chair. Gettleman was clear from day one about his initiative. He wanted to build a team that runs the ball and stops the run, and they drafted like it. 2018, first four picks, Saquon Barkley with the number two pick in that draft, and that was bandied about a lot in the pre-draft process because you might recall that 2018 draft class at the quarterback position produced five first rounders and two and a half of them have been very successful so far we'll find out on Baker Mayfield the other two not as much with Rosen and, and Sam Darnold going into backup gigs at the stages of their career Darnold has been injured and lost the job that way but you get what I'm saying here it's, it's kind of the general point there but in that draft class Saquon Barkley number two with only Mayfield off the board. Will Hernandez, Lorenzo Carter, a linebacker, and B.J. Hill. So running back, O-line, linebacker, D-tackle. 2019, they do get their quarterback this time around. Daniel Jones, who Dave Gettleman said was in full bloom love going through the draft process of evaluating this quarterback from Duke. He takes him at number six overall. Then in the first round, Dexter Lawrence, the defensive tackle, and a cornerback in DeAndre Baker. And then back to the front seven with O'Shane Jimenez, another cornerback slash safety in Julian Love. Then back to linebacker Ryan Connolly. They finish off receiver, corner, tackle, defensive tackle. They draft the same three or four positions pretty much every single year. Andrew Thomas kicked off the 2020 draft. Number four, the first tackle taken off the board in that loaded tackle class. Xavier McKinney back at safety in the second round. 
Then back to the offensive line, Matt Pert, Darnay Holmes, a cornerback. Then this, guard, linebacker, 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 cornerback, linebacker. Then 2021, Kadarius Toney, the receiver. Aziz Ojolari, the outside backer slash defensive end slash really damn good player out of Georgia. Then cornerback, linebacker, running back, cornerback. So you get it. A lot of resources spent on the trenches, plenty of cornerbacks in that mix, which is truly a position of strength for them in the defensive backfield in general when they are healthy right now, a little bit banged up. And we also go along into 2021 as they enter this four and seven, or this game rather, at four and seven. And like Miami, they've been bitten by the injury bug at some of those skill positions on offense because when they have them, as Brian Flores stated on Wednesday, it's name after name in that lineup, but they've not been healthy all year long. Since that 11 win 2016 season for the Giants, three wins, five wins, four wins, and six wins. So they are in position right now with a strong December to match or even surpass that high watermark of these last five years. But with six games to go, they're going to have to get some W's. Let's go ahead and get to this game here in Miami and start as we do weekly with the Giants quarterbacks versus the Dolphins safeties. And since there is a fair amount of uncertainty about who it will be under center, and Flores said they are preparing as if Danny Dimes will be up. We'll spend some time on both quarterbacks in this segment, but I think it's more about us. And so we talk about these safeties like Javon Holland, Brandon Jones, Eric Rowe. And of course, Jones missed the game last week. But as we talked about in the pods earlier this week, I thought you really saw the versatility of that room on display because of the absence of Brandon Jones as Holland and Rowe have their roles adapted to fill that void. And that versatility constantly reminds me of the question I had for Tua back in week two about the Buffalo Bills safeties and their interchangeable nature and how Tua said it was tough to decipher what the defense is because they can line up in one place and then wind up something somewhere completely different after the snap. And I think the same thing here applies with Miami. And the key there is to continue to force takeaway opportunities, which is obviously a complete team effort. But the Giants quarterbacks have thrown a collective nine picks this year and taken 23 sacks and fumbled the football eight times. That's 17 potential turnover opportunities and 23 sacks, working out to 1.55 potential TOs per game and 2.1 sacks per game. Now, Miami, over these last four weeks, are averaging 2.75 takeaways and four sacks per game. So you have to think that the Dolphins are kind of gearing up, hoping they can get the same kind of production in this contest. We'll see if those averages play out in the game on Sunday. But how do you create that chaos? How do you get to those numbers? Well, to the numbers again, Mike Glennon is three for nine with 29 yards this year and a touchdown pass and a pick against the Blitz, where Daniel Jones, a much greater sample size, is 61 for 99, averaging six and a half yards per pass, one touchdown, that all sounds good, right? But four picks. And that's been something of a formula to kind of force the issues. And not to mention 15 of the 22 sacks on Jones come when sending that extra rusher. And with the way Miami can cover on the back end, perhaps that's the formula. But also, when kept clean, Jones has eight touchdowns and five picks. And five of the total picks are in that 10-plus yard range. So when he throws the ball deep down the field, or if there's an extra rusher coming at him, or even kept clean, there's opportunities for interceptions there, and at least as far as what he's been so far in this season. You can always improve and get better. You can play a better game, too. So I think about what we saw with Javon and the interception and kind of trying to put him in conflict, but he just kept his eyes on the quarterback's eyes and drove on the football and made a big-time play. 
So I'm not so sure. It's not quite as obvious with regards to sending the extra rushers or playing coverage and let the thing come to you. Opposing teams have blitzed Jones just 26% of the time, which is more than 12% fewer than Miami's season average of 38.4%, which is just 0.8% below the Bucks for the highest rate in the NFL. So again, this dichotomy exists between what the Giants do well or what kind of makes them vulnerable and what the Dolphins do well. And that's something Brian Flores has talked about finding the balance between going after their weaknesses and doing what you're doing best. But what the Dolphins do best is unrelenting pressure over the last month or so. So again, very interesting dichotomy to me. But our next position group gives you something of an indicator for how to best attack. Like the Giants receivers and tight ends versus the Miami cornerbacks. Look, Kadarius Toney is a separation-creating machine. He moves in ways that many guys cannot. And, I mean, we talk about Jalen Waddle's impact. I th- Tony's not been quite on that level, but he's been very impactful for that Giants offense, and that was kind of his game coming out of Florida, a slippery guy who runs these routes that'll put you in the blender. He's tough to cover. And this group really is kind of, when healthy, that basketball lineup we've talked about on the podcast for years, going back to Lockdown Dolphins days. And they've got unique skill sets across that group, and that Kenny Galladay is that big, go-get-the-football type of guy, contested catch guy. He's actually competed with Devontae Parker in that realm for a few years now previously with the Lions, now with the Giants. And next-gen separation stats has him at 2.0, which is the fourth fewest among qualifying pass catchers. Sterling Shepard is a sure-handed, primarily slot guy with an average separation of 2.7 yards. Darius Slayton up to 3.0, and then Kadarius Toney at 3.4. And then tight end Evan Ingram leads the crew at 3.8. Now, some of that has to do with the routes these guys run some of the quick hitters can be more separation because you're just if they're playing off coverage you catch the ball with an automatic built-in three four yards of separation but how about the yak yardage this is where I really look at this Giants offense as a possibility for Miami to rally up tackle and have some success they're yak above expected so when you catch the football data from decades of football gives you an idea of what they're expected to do with that football based upon previous data and Big Seth will tell me that that has nothing to do with any given player on any given game, but I digress. Love you, bro. All jokes aside. But Yak above expected, Kadarius Tony is plus 1.8. Then a drop-off. Negative 0.02 for Galladay, negative 0.03 for both Shepard and Ingram, and negative 0.04 for uh, Slayton. And we talked about how Miami's tackling has come along, especially in the secondary and really beginning in that Baltimore game with those guys just tackling everything on the perimeter up to a season best last week, just two missed tackles. So what does this all say? Well, it looks like a recipe for being conscious of the deep ball, forcing them to play underneath and rallying up and tackling, because if they're not going to make the big play after the catch, then it would serve you to kind of play off and, and force them to do that and be consistent in that way. Then you really clamp down and win against them in the red zone on the occasions they get there. We'll talk about that here in just one second. We'll see how Miami wants to play it because, as is the case every week, the Dolphins' flexibility gives them options. So how do you match up? First, who was available? Last week, no Shepard, no Tony, no Kyle Rudolph. That gave John Ross 11 reps. It gave Farrell Cooper 35 snaps. But Saquon Barkley did play despite his questionable designation, and he played 87% of their snaps. We'll talk about that as well in a later segment. 
but their usage as far as inside outside is also interesting. Cooper, 88.2% inside. He's a slot receiver. Shepard, 73%. That's also a slot receiver. Evan Ingram, much like Mike Gesicki, 66% in the slot. And then Kadarius Toney, 58% in the slot. But he can play satellite. He can play that kind of offset H-back. He can play in your backfield. He does it all. Then there's a massive drop-off. The next is Kyle Rudolph at 37% in the slot, 52% in line. He's more of your kind of Durham-Smythe satellite. Ross, Galladay, and Slayton are all outside 80% of the time or more. And while we talk about versatility, well, you typically wind up with Jones and X on the outside, right? So Kenny Galladay's game, physicality, the downfield contested catches. He wants to beat you with, with basically being able to win at the top of the route. And that's where X really excels, among other areas, obviously. So I kind of like that matchup there as far as trying to pick which way you want to go. And of course, the Dolphins don't typically travel, so you'll get different matchups. But that might be an idea that you look at in terms of where to go, where not to go when they do line up in that particular position. And Slayton has a bit of an expanded route tree compared to Galladay, a little more elusive laterally. That, to me, matches up with Byron Jones, who is an athletic phenom, breaking records at the Combine you know, several years ago. John Ross, he's a deep target. That's, that's what he does. He runs down the field. We'll see how much he plays if the Giants get other guys back this week, but you want to account for that speed regardless if he's out there. That's the thing about 4-3, 4-2 speed. Like, it doesn't matter what the guy's production is. You have to account for it. Some slot options, I mean, Nick Needham, Justin Coleman, the safeties have all played in those roles, and they've played well. So Cooper is just 5'11", but over 200 pounds, so he kind of has that thick lower half, and maybe you want to play more physical against him as well. Kind of an option there, thinking about how to match up on him. Evan Ingram is always also rather sized, but he's also very athletic and can move. So is that Jerome Baker? Is that Eric Rowe? I tend to lead more towards an Eric Rowe type and tight end. Maybe you get some chips off the line and help that way as well. Kadarius Tony is the tricky one because, again, he moves so well, so you need to be able to match that. Maybe you bracket, plus you don't want to let him catch the ball in space and get free. Everybody else is not as much of a threat to go big run after the catch, but he certainly is. And then Shepard's the most polished route runner of the bunch, so you probably want to get a cornerback that can, again, move and, and not take the cheese on fakes and sluggos and double moves and that type of thing. Now, we talked about those matchups a lot last week, but the next position really kind of took center stage as Miami heat up the Panthers passing game and really didn't make the outside stuff all that relevant with good coverage as well. So can they replicate that success? Let's go ahead and move on now to the Giants offensive line versus Dolphins defensive line. And here are the players they started against Philly and their pressure numbers. This is out of 474 pass blocking snaps. You get an idea of how much time their guys have missed up front. Andrew Thomas, 10 pressures on 281 snaps. It's a two, sa- uh, two hit, one sack, a huge jump from year one for him. Matt Skura, we know who he is. 18 pressures, 291 snaps, five hits, one sack. He's played well. Billy Price, 16 pressures on 429 snaps, four hits, and one sack. Will Hernandez, the right side's where things kind of get dicey here. Will Hernandez, 25 pressures allowed on 474 pass blocking snaps. Well, I guess that's pretty good compared to the averages of the left side. Three hits and four sacks. And then Nate Solder, 30 pressures allowed, 450 snaps, six hits, Six, yeah, six hits and four sacks. I almost got that mixed up. I wrote some of these backwards. I don't know why I did that. But Andrew Thomas has just three pressures allowed since returning after missing four weeks, and that was against Tampa Bay and Philly. That's good defensive line play right there. He's really turned the corner and becoming that franchise left tackle you expect to get when using the fourth overall pick on a player. He hasn't surrendered more than two pressures in a game this entire season. For Matt Skura, not a lot of pressure early on from him, but the last two weeks... Eight pressures, and a lot of that with Ndamukong Sue, Fletcher Cox, and Javon Hargrave. They overwhelmed him at times in pass protection. 
something to keep an eye on. Billy Price, he's kind of settled in with his new team here after coming over from the Bengals in the offseason, a former first-round pick. Five pressures in the opener against Washington. That's different, different season almost at this point. Against all those big interior defensive linemen they have, like John Allen. And never more than two pressures since, including just two against the Bucks and their stout interior front, even without Vita Vea. Will Hernandez, kind of similar to Matt Skura, strong start, some tough matchups lately. Tampa Bay had six pressures against him. Philly had two. KC had four. Carolina had three. And a game with the Raiders, sandwich in between where he allowed just one pressure in that game. But you see a lot of the same things. Power, Derek Brown in Carolina, Chris Jones in KC, Sue in Tampa Bay, Cox and Hargrave in Philadelphia. And then out wide, Solder. He's kind of also found his rhythm the last couple of weeks. PFF did not like his game against Las Vegas three weeks ago. Just three pressures allowed, however, in the last two games. But Shaq Barrett did get him for a sack versus the Bucks. So the common theme is that teams with a lot of power and bull rushing experts, so to speak, have given the Giants more problems than the fleet of foot guy, the one gap penetrator types. And that's, well, the former is what the Dolphins do so well both inside and outside. I don't have to break down the power of Ogba, of Phillips, of Wilkins, of Davis, of Sealer, as we've seen several rush moves from each of those guys produce some production in these recent weeks. I'll be curious to see how Miami wants to go, how often they want to go to their rush games they have up front. The Giants just haven't had a ton of continuity up front because of those injuries. I mean, Matt Pert has missed a bunch of games. Nick Gates and Shane Lemieux, those three guys were supposed to be starters going into the season, and the, the last two guys have been out on IR for some time, and Matt Pert's missing some games and not playing either. So tough, tough call there for the Giants in terms of getting that continuity. Can Miami dive deep into their game operation with the twists, slants, and stunts, and the loopers, and the green dogs, and the delays. So many options there. Will they go to it? We'll see. At the other position here on offense, Dolphins linebackers versus Giants running backs, and y'all know about Saquon Barkley. He's as talented as they come, but he's played just 297 snaps this season, 52 of those last week, and perhaps his most effective game last game, even though it was just 3.1 yards per carry and a half yard departure from his 3.6 season average, but he averaged 3.62 yards after initial contact. And one of the craziest stats is that PFF didn't credit him with a forced missed tackle. In fact, he hasn't had one of those since week four against New Orleans. He's only carried the ball 21 times since that time, but you still get the point. Like that's usually what his game is, especially behind an offensive line that hasn't played consistently. Just five runs of 10 plus yards all year for him and never more than one in the single game. So no real explosive element of this running game. Devontae Booker has nine of them, but that's 14 in... 12 games? It's not very many. And that's such an important element of what Miami does to set themselves up for success on defense. Get into third and long, send that pressure, bad things happen for the offense. So obviously, this is more than just about the linebackers and running backs, but Christian Wilkins had a quote on Wednesday about how he can have the game of his life in the run game and not make a tackle. And I think we've seen that play out in recent weeks with how Jerome Baker, Alandon Roberts, and even Duke Riley have played in their, all their roles. All really kind of hitting their stride here in the month of November going into December. So their speed's going to be tested. Their physicality will be tested. They'll have to have an answer for Saquon when he flexes out. It's a small sample size this year, but he's been either in the slot or out wide on a combined 25 snaps. It's just less than 10%. Again, don't sleep on Devontae Booker. He's very versatile in his own right, but most of his damage in the passing game comes from the backfield. He's also at 3.7 yards per carry, so a half yard better than Saquon and a bit more production with 4.5 times as many carries. He has seven forced missed tackles and nine runs of 10 plus. So 
Get guys to the party and bring them down. That's kind of the key to the game here as far as the Giants running game goes. Offensively, over 30% of the Giants' points come from field goals. That's the highest rate in the league by a long shot. I was curious with their fourth down conversion rate because are they kicking field goals on fourth and short? Not so much. I mean, they're they're you know winning for the winning in the red zone is critical for the Dolphins this week, but that 43.4% conversion rate in the red zone ranks 32nd. They are also an aggressive team on fourth down who's attempted 17 fourth down tries, which is tied for ninth most. Now their conversion rate is 47.1%, and that's 21st. Maybe some of those drives go by the wayside down there on fourth down failures, but the vast majority of that comes on fourth and very short. So if you can force them into fourth and three or longer, they're likely going to kick the football, which is mostly true of most teams. 11 personnel, 59%. That's exactly league average. 12 personnel, 29%. That's 7% above league average and no other package is greater than 3%. So not a ton of diversity there and their deployment. You have to wonder if 11 might be even more or if some more four receiver personnel packages might be more prevalent or even two back personnel with Barkley healthy. If all these guys were healthy, Tony, Slayton, Galladay have missed a combined 14 games. And that is separate besides of of, uh, Evan Ingram's two missed games, Saquon Barkley's four missed games, and Kyle Rudolph has missed one game. So not the best injury luck here for the Giants. Daniel Jones has started all 11 games. We'll see if he makes it 12 on Sunday or not, or if it's Mike Glennon's first start since week 17 last year with the Jags. He was 0-5 as a starter last year, 6-21 as a starter in his career. He was 62% last year completion, 5.99 yards per pass on 179 throws, 7 touchdowns and 5 picks, and a rating of 80.1. He's thrown just 25 passes this season, touchdown, 2 picks, 196, 64% completion. How about the other side? Dolphins quarterback versus Giants safeties. For Tua, we know about the two straight games with 80% completion. He did it earlier this year against the Falcons as well. And if he can do it again for a fourth time this year, that would tie an NFL record for number of games in one season with 80% or better completion percentage. I think that's a winning formula again this week. Stay on schedule, protect the football, and continue to play this complimentary style of football. That's what everybody wants to do. I'm intrigued by this tour, tour, <laughs> Tua and Xavier McKinney matchup because back at the Combine in 2020, I had a chance to ask Xavier about sharing the practice field with Tua Tungavailoa, competing against him, and discussing what each other saw each practice after practice. And he was very forthright about him and Tua constantly communicating. So I wonder who might be the beneficiary if either of them at all in this. Will he know what Tua wants to do to manipulate coverage? Will Tua know Xavier's disguise tactics? Fascinating storyline to me. I'm going to ask John Kinjani about that on tomorrow's podcast and get more insight on that. But the Giants play in two high more frequently than single high, and teams have been able to find success in that way. 150 passing yards against them in two high compared to 90.1 yards per game against single high. And we saw Miami have some success with that last week. That's where a lot of those throws over the middle, working off play action, and that second level behind the linebackers is a money spot on kind of those dig routes, those in cuts, those curls deep down the field. And that's where Tua's had a lot of success too. So as far as the blitz and pressure goes, that kind of coincides with how the Giants want to play it philosophically. We mentioned the emphasis they have on the trenches They blitz right at the median, tied for 16th and 17th most in the league at 24.4%. They want to win their matchups up front and play as much coverage as they can, and they have the weapons outside to do it. Now, as far as their pressure rates, they're not great. 18.7% pressure is the third fewest in the National Football League. Same as their quarterback knockdown. That's at 5.7, and they are tied for 24th 
with 21 sacks. Julian Love, he's been in coverage a lot for the safety position. 20 completions on 27 targets for 212 yards and 148 yak yards. So again, some of those in-cut routes, those slants to waddle, if he can get those again, split those safeties and take off, that's what you want to see. McKinney's been in coverage on 29 targets for 20 completions. And this is that too high thing we talked about. McKinney and Love have just 21 pass rush reps out of 1,000 total. And Logan Ryan did it more with 16 of his own on 606 snaps. And Jabril Peppers is still on injured reserve, so they're deep into their backup there. But McKinney in coverage, 20 for 29, 229 yards, just 89 yak yards. He's a good sure tackler. Out wide, Dolphins receivers and tight ends against Giants cornerbacks. They've got some dudes here. And remember the investment we talked about at the position? Well, their best guy is a free agent. James Bradbury has had a really nice career. 39 completions on 62 targets this season for 452 yards, but 180 yak yards. But that 452 is on 473 coverage snaps, so less than a yard per coverage rep. He's typically going to take inside coverage. He did get out on Mike Evans two weeks ago for seven targets and held him to just 45 yards on those targets. Last week, it was only... Dallas Goddard and Jalen Rager for the Eagles. And then the week before, Hunter Renfro and, and Darren Waller. So inside matchups could mean a lot of Mike Kosicki, could mean a lot of Jalen Waddle, whoever Miami wants to put in that regard. And Waddle has seen some brackets and doubles. That could be the case here. But when you go 12 personnel and the defense adjusts to more of a base type of look, he doesn't leave the field. So maybe on those 99% snaps that he plays, you get a few of them outside. Maybe you get him on the perimeter with a place he's not as familiar with playing so maybe you get him on the perimeter with more of that package that is run a league high in 12 personnel by a lot 61 percent is like 30 percent more than the next team maybe you do that Darnay Holmes went out last week he's down he's played 281 snaps but Adoree Jackson is the other 90 percent plus guy with Bradbury he locked the Raiders down one catch on seven targets and pretty good versus Tampa as well three on seven targets for 34 yards and a pick then zero catches last week on two targets he might be the guy you try to avoid if that's something you want to do he's really coming into his own other teams have avoided him for the most part Tay Crowder has been the most targeted cornerback the last three games but it's all over the field against backs tight ends and receivers we'll see if Miami wants to go after that with whoever they go after it with I should say and I'm most curious about the potential return here of Devontae Parker. He practiced on Wednesday. And I think given Waddle's kind of coming on here with Mike and Durham playing so much that there could be really another nice compliment to that offense. And I'm curious to see how they dictate those matchups. Traveling isn't as much of a thing these days. And the Giants do not have the corners travel. So they're going to have to communicate well on some of the bunches and the stacks and things of that nature. But how about the inside matchup here? The Dolphins offensive line versus the Giants D-line. Leonard Williams, 38 pressures this year, seven sacks and six hits by pro football focus. They don't credit half sacks, so some of those numbers are different than what you'll see on counting stat sites. Dexter Lawrence, 28 pressure. So the interior, that's where they collapse the pocket the most. Oziz Ojolari has been a big hit outside for them. 26 pressures, six sacks, and two hits. His game is speed, 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 and tenacity. He's also just a good player with solid technique, so he can do stuff in the running game, pass rush, even fall into coverage. But up next in pressures with 18 is another IDL, Austin Johnson. So those four guys have a total of 84 run stops amongst them as well. So four very productive player. Then you get Lorenzo Carter with 12 quarterback pressures and then a drop off down to four guys who have seven pressures each. So we saw Miami with a great game plan last week against 
Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick, who are primarily outside guys, it could be a situation where you kind of work the opposite. And that could mean a variety of approaches, like we saw against the Jets with John Franklin Myers and Quinnen Williams. Do you wham them and just let them go upfield and take them out with a wham block by a tight end? Do you keep your backs and pass pro and mug them up and have them take those guys out immediately? Do you squeeze and leave your tackles one-on-one on the perimeter? Maybe some chip help out there too. Lots of options. I'm excited to see how Miami matches up the physicality inside. That's what Austin Jackson and Rob Hunt do best. At Dolphins running back versus Giants linebackers, finally here in the second level, they're banged up here. They've got four inside linebackers on the reserve list. That includes Blake Martinez, who was brought in to kind of quarterback that defense there for the Giants. So the top guys now in terms of snap counts, and this fits in line with their big physical approach. Reggie Ragland, you remember him. He played 34 snaps last week. Bernardrick McKinney, who's a new signee there, played 22 snaps. And Quincy Roche played 31. Teams have tried to get them to leave the middle and go outside and cover because that's not really their game. They're more thumpers in the running game. And we know how this backfield operates in the passing game. So do you do that? Do you keep them in pass pro? We saw a lot of variety last week from these Dolphins backs in the offense, really in general. And this, the same thing could be said about putting some conflict upon the shoulders of those backers, especially as they try to kind of acclimate here as more full-time guys in the absence of the others. So some good matchups there for the Dolphins. On special teams, the Giants rank 23rd in DVOA. The Dolphins rank 26th. Graham Gano has three missed kicks this year, two of them from plus 50, one from inside 39 yards, but no missed extra points. He's good for all 14 of those, 22 for 25 on field goals. And then Riley Dixon averages 45.3 yards per punt. And on returns, Jabril Peppers is their primary guy, but he's down. Nobody else has more than three. That's Farrell Cooper with 35 yards on three returns, 11.7 yards average. And CJ Board has 11 kickoff returns and averages 24.8 per, per return. No special teams touchdowns for the Giants. The Dolphins will win this game if the defense continues to execute. New York has had injury slash continuity bugs all year. And if Miami can continue to stay multiple, formulate a Giants-specific game plan that they lock in on and execute, it's going to have a tough time for the Giants to beat this Dolphins defense. If they can do that, they could be able to have one of those relentless pressure slash beneficial field possession games that sets the offense up for a bunch of success again. And the Giants will win if they generate takeaways. They're going to have to do that to get this upset. We saw them to keep Philly out of the end zone time and time again last week with all those turnovers late down the field and at critical times. I think if the offense stays patient and doesn't make the critical mistake, then Miami can make it five straight. My three keys for the game, create third and long situations for the New York offense. We'll see how the Dolphins defense can tee it up again if they get in those situations. Number two, dominate the red zone. Giants have struggled down there. Keep that going. Number three, protect the football. Do not give them short fields. Do not give them extra possessions. Those are the three keys to the game. My Thursday night football pick this week, Dallas over New Orleans. Two teams kind of struggling right now, but give me the Cowboys to bounce back after that tough Thanksgiving night loss. All right, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins across all social accounts. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and OJ and, of course, our postgame show on 560 WQAM. Check out the YouTube channel for Dolphins Today and all of our media availabilities. Had some good ones on Wednesday. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline, Daddy is coming home.